Ladies and gentlemen, gather around the audio bonfire, but make sure to keep your eyes open. Ghosts and ghouls, leave your pitchforks at the door, because today we're diving headfirst into the dark abyss of horror fiction. This is the Pen to Profit podcast. I'm Ray Evans, and if you're trying to turn the terror in your mind into dollars in your pocket, well, you've clicked on the right audio file because today's episode is titled Tales from the Dark Side, Mastering the Craft of Writing Spine-Chilling Horror Fiction. Buckle up and let's get to it. Welcome to the Pin to Profit Podcast. This show is the fiction author's one-stop shop for all things writing, from pinning captivating prose to the nitty-gritty of grammar to tips, tricks, and insider advice on marketing to turn your passion for writing into cold, hard cash. Because the only thing better than writing the next great American novel is making a fortune doing it. Am I right? With our guidance, you'll be raking in book sales faster than a cheetah on roller skates chasing a squirrel with a winning lottery ticket. So grab a cup of coffee and let's get ready to go on a rollicking ride into the realm of riding riches. Because the Pin to Profit podcast starts now. Let's start by talking about the philosophy of fear. Look, the essence of horror is fear, and fear comes from the unknown. But writing horror? That's about turning the unknown into something not just known, but irrefutably disturbing. We're talking Edgar Allan Poe levels of spine chill here. You see, horror is more than just the monster in the closet. It's a reflection of our collective unconscious fears and taboos. In literature, fear often serves as a magnifying glass for the darker aspects of human nature, society, or the universe. Let's go classic, shall we? Remember Mary Shelley's Frankenstein? We're not just afraid of the monster, we're afraid of what it represents, the unchecked ambition of man playing God. The horror is a critique on humanity itself. Now that's a two-for-one deal if I've ever seen one. Or how about Bram Stoker's epistolary classic, Dracula? That's not just a Transylvanian bloodsucker hopping over to England for a liquid diet. No, sir. It's emblematic of the Victorian fears about sexuality, foreign invasion, and the breakdown of the social order. The fear isn't just from the fangs, it's from what those fangs mean. Loss of control, boundary invasion, and, dare I say it, an almost irresistible allure of the forbidden. So when you're carving out your horror story, don't just settle for cheap scares. Those are the jump scares of literature. Fun for a second, but forgotten the next. Aim for the sort of terror that sits in the reader's soul, marinating, festering, and making them question the world around them, or heck, their very existence. That's the kind of horror that doesn't just sell, it becomes iconic. Now folks, let's shift our focus onto another crucial element of a horror story, the setting. Think of the setting as the silent film star of your horror story. It doesn't say much, but oh does it emote. The setting isn't just a backdrop, it's like an actor in a silent role, always there, always influencing the action, but never speaking a line. Take Stephen King's The Shining, for instance. Ah, the Overlook Hotel. A family-friendly vacation spot, right? Well, not quite. King turns it into an isolation chamber of horrors. The building itself is practically a character, a villain even. It's not just the confinement. It's the absolute isolation, the eerie silence of snowbound wilderness, the weird architecture. It all blends to create a sense of dread. 
you know, that gnawing feeling that something's got to give and it won't be the creepy wallpaper. The Overlook Hotel amplifies every human emotion, every family tension, and every supernatural entity to 11. But hey, horror is a universal language. It's not just an American pastime. Let's skip over the pond and into Shirley Jackson's The Haunting of Hill House. Now here, we have another house that might as well have a sign outside saying, Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. It's a labyrinthine mansion with doors that won't stay open and angles calculated to disorient. The house is the horror, the maze that entraps the soul and heightens your sense of vulnerability. Jackson uses the house as a metaphor for the internal struggles of her characters, especially Eleanor. It's not just bricks and mortar. It's a psychological torture chamber. So remember, in horror, setting is never just setting. It's an emotional soundscape, a psychological stage, and sometimes the very embodiment of evil. You can't just set your story in any old place and expect the horror to manifest. It needs to be thought out. It needs to augment your narrative. And it needs to have its own aura of menace. Choose wisely, because in a great horror story, where you are can be just as terrifying as what you're facing. And there we go. The spotlight's been on setting, and I've got to say, it's a star performer in the horror genre. So if you want your readers to be a bundle of nerves, all twitchy and checking over their shoulders, make sure your setting is not just a place, but a presence. All right, hang on to your seats. We're diving headfirst into arguably the most important component of any story, but especially so in horror, the characters. You see, the characters are the train cars on the roller coaster of your plot. And if those cars are empty, nobody's screaming, if you catch my drift. Let's face it, folks. You can have the most terrifying demon ever conceived, but if your character has the emotional depth of a kiddie pool, readers aren't going to care when that demon starts making its dinner plans. Good characters are the conduit for fear. They're how we feel the suspense, the horror, the dread. Take the Walking Dead graphic novel, for example. Sure, zombies are cool, but we keep reading for characters like Rick Grimes, Negan, and the Governor. Now, speaking of characters, I have to bring up the Grandmaster of American Gothic, Edgar Allan Poe, Specifically, let's talk about the protagonist in The Telltale Heart. This character isn't your run-of-the-mill, garden-variety individual. He's disturbed, he's nervous, and boy does he have an issue with an old man's eye. Poe doesn't just give us a character, he gives us a study in psychological unraveling. We are trapped in the mind of a madman, and it's this intimacy that makes the horror palpable. It's not about being afraid of the madman, it's about being afraid of the madness itself. As he tries to convince us, and himself, of his sanity while describing the meticulous planning that goes into a murder, we are both horrified and fascinated. And when the heart starts its ghostly beating beneath the floorboards, oh man, we are right there with him, listening to the damning rhythm of guilt. Characters matter, ladies and gentlemen. In horror fiction, your characters are the ones who are going to scream, to fight, to run from, or confront the horror. Through them, your readers will feel every pulse-pounding moment, Characters are your proxies for emotional and psychological terror. They're the ones who make the scares real, the stakes high, and the consequences terrible. If your characters are as flat as a cardboard standee, your horror story is going to be about as terrifying as a kitty Halloween party. If you want to give your readers the chills, you've got to build characters that are genuine, flawed, and above all human, even when faced with the most inhuman horrors. So now, my loquacious literati, let's talk pacing. Now, if writing is an art form, which it is, for those of you currently debating this on some desolate internet forum, then pacing is the brushstroke. It's not what color you're using. It's how fast or slow you move the brush across the canvas. And when it comes to horror, 
Pacing is your conductor's baton, cueing the strings for those screeching psycho-esque moments and then slowing down the tempo for those eerie, silent stretches. Now, to illustrate my point, let's go back in time and return to Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Yeah, that's right, we're going old school. No book serves as a better masterclass in pacing than this bad boy. Think about it. You start off with a slow burn, a few letters, a trip to the Arctic, and then Shelley starts feeding you bits of the story, letting you lean in before she slams you with the creation of the monster. But does she keep the pedal to the metal? No, she slows it down, lets you marinate in the monstrosity of it all. Then, wham, we're back, and Frankenstein's monster is wreaking havoc. The peaks and valleys in the pacing add layers to the tension. It's a cadaverous waltz, and we're all invited. Ladies and gentlemen, pacing controls everything from your reader's heartbeat to the speed at which they turn the pages. When you understand how to manipulate pacing, you're not just telling a story, you're conducting an experience. You're deciding when your reader gets to breathe and when you're going to snatch that breath away. The pace sets up your scares, makes your twists more shocking, and turns your climaxes into unforgettable crescendos. So if you're trying to write horror and your pacing's off, your reader's pulse isn't going to race. It's going to flatline. Pacing is the difference between a Stephen King novel and an Ikea instruction manual. One you can't put down, the other puts you to sleep. And let's be clear, in horror, you want your readers wide awake, clutching the book with sweaty palms and nervously glancing over their shoulder. Because remember, the real monster isn't just in your story. It's the dread you've managed to instill in the very heartbeat of your readers. Let's talk about the unsung hero of horror language and imagery. Seriously, you could have the best characters, a haunted mansion that makes the Amityville horror look like a summer cottage and pacing worthy of a metronome. But if your language and imagery are flatter than Kansas, well, you're doomed. Yeah, I said it. Doomed. Language and imagery are your smoke machines and lighting rigs. They set the stage for your audience's greatest fears to come to life. Forget 3D glasses. Your words should be enough to make your reader feel like they're in the room where it happens. And by it, I mean the spine-tingling, bone-chilling, gut-wrenching horror. Language and imagery are where your high school English teacher's favorite terms like simile, metaphor, and foreshadowing stop being annoying and start being essential tools in your toolbox of terror. So, for an example of what I'm talking about, let's circle back to Edgar Allan Poe's The Telltale Heart. This guy, Poe, he knew how to use language and imagery like a master chef uses spices. When the protagonist hears the beating of the heart under the floorboards, oh man, it's not just a sound, it's a sonic nightmare. Poe describes it as a low, dull, quick sound, much such a sound as a watch makes when enveloped in cotton. He didn't just say he heard a beating heart. He drew us into that hyper-aware state of tension where every sound is amplified. It makes your own heart race. Poe's choice of words elevates a simple sound to a haunting crescendo. Or how about Shirley Jackson's The Lottery? When Tessie Hutchinson gets the paper with the black dot, it's not just ink on paper. It's a death sentence. Jackson describes the crowd's silence and the air of menace so vividly that you feel you're standing there, a participant in this ghastly ritual. The stones aren't just stones. They're the embodiment of human cruelty, passed down from generation to generation. The language and imagery make you squirm because they conjure up much more than just a physical action. They evoke a dark aspect of human nature. So, if you're writing horror, don't skimp on the language and imagery. These are the colors with which you'll paint your reader's nightmares. A well-placed adjective or a vivid simile can turn a mundane scene into an indelible memory. Think of language and imagery as the eerie violin in your horror symphony. 
giving voice to the unspeakable and form to the unfathomable. And that, my aspiring authors of the arcane, is how you make sure that your horror story doesn't just pass through the reader like a ghost, but haunts them long after they've turned the final page. This is Ray Evans, and you've been listening to the Pen to Profit podcast. Keep those nightlights on because trust me, after penning the horror masterpiece that I know you're capable of, even you'll be afraid of the dark. And if you've enjoyed this episode today, please be sure to rate this podcast five stars on Apple Podcast or your podcast app of choice and leave a review. Until next time, keep those pens sharp. Thanks for tuning in to the Pen to Profit Podcast. If you've enjoyed hanging out with us today, swing by iTunes or your podcast app of choice and leave a rating and write a review. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button to get more of this grammar goulash delivered piping hot to your ear holes every week. And if you're looking for more tips, tricks, and free trainings that aren't available anywhere else, click the link in the show notes to join the Author Success Hub Facebook group. It's one part mastermind group and one part creative writing workshop. Except you can attend in your pajamas without judgment. Plus, you'll be mixing it up with fellow authors who are all about that writing and profiting life. Until next time, keep putting pen to paper and turning those pages to profit. Ciao.